0: The book of Ecclesiastes. We have finally come to the end. How many of you are excited that we finally come to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter twelve? I'm excited whenever we finish a book of the Bible, and it's been it's been quite the book. There's some ups and downs in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's some clear statements. There's some confusing statements. There's some statements that um, we know in our culture, right, that are just, like, ingrained in our minds through the songs from the book of Ecclesiastes. There's phrases in Ecclesiastes that have, like, stood the test of time, and yet, like, Ecclesiastes is a book that has been really, really difficult to preach through. And, but I do pray, and I have prayed that the whole last 12 or 13 weeks, I pray that it's been beneficial to you, spiritually speaking, and like I said, there's really, uh, there really is no other book like the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. It's classified as wisdom lit- literature, and there are other books classified as wisdom literature. Psalms, which is a lot of songs, right? But um, also, during the course seminar time, uh, Tom is going through the whole Old Testament. And today, uh, in God's providence, he talked about the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs is also classified as wisdom literature as well as Job and Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes as well. But all all those wisdom books they all look a little bit different. If there's one book that's most similar to Ecclesiastes, it's the Book of Proverbs because they were both written by the same guy, by King Solomon. And it's but it is different because for the most part, the Book of Ecclesiastes is written in the third person. The author is telling about the sayings of a character that we've been calling the preacher. Or, I mean, you could translate it like the teacher or the collector of sayings. But if you actually want to start in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 1, because I want to show how this whole book is bookended by by this beginning and the end there. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the words of the preacher, capital P, the son of David king in Jerusalem. So, it even begins by by King Solomon not saying, these are my words, but he says, these are the words of the preacher. So, already he's writing in like the third person, right? It would be like if I said, the words of Pastor Eric are blah, 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 right? Like instead of saying, this is what I'm writing, these are my words. And then if you flip to the end, in chapter 12, verse 9, it returns to the narrator's voice saying, basically, these were the words of the preacher. You see what I'm saying? Like... It ends there, chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 12, verse 9. You can see the book ends in the way the, the wording is right there. And so, who wrote the book, right? Who wrote this book? Who collected these sayings? Who was the one? Was it somebody writing for the preacher? Was it somebody collecting the wisdom of Solomon? I personally think it was King Solomon all along. I think it's just the way he chose to write these words down. I think he took some poetic license in the way he was writing. He was writing a little bit different than the style than he wrote the book of Proverbs. Either way, the nice thing about this book is that we know the main thing. And this is also where I started 12 weeks ago. When I started 12 weeks ago, I started by looking at the very end. And today, that's why I wanted to go back to the beginning and show how it's like, we can put a nice little bow on this whole book of Ecclesiastes. And we don't have to go, like, wandering and searching and thinking, like, what was this all about? You know, have you ever read an article and, and been like, what was this? Like, I don't really understand. What was the main point? Was it just the headline? And then you read a bunch of garbage on this website because it's like, "What? Well, what am I reading here? It's why I like, sometimes I read theological journals and um a lot of times in scientific journals or theological journals they'll have an abstract at the top so if you don't want to read the whole thing you just read the abstract right and then you can get the main the main gist of the point right there well you don't have to go searching in the book of Ecclesiastes um, and I think the main question the reason why what we did we titled this sermon series the search for meaning the search for meaning and the answer is found right there in verse 13 in chapter 12 verse 13 it says this the end of the matter all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mine, uh, whole duty of man. There you go, that's it. That's that sums it up right there. I would say it like this in this last chapter life is short. Life is short. Therefore, listen to the advice of the wise preacher. Fear God and keep his commandments. So he ends the book by talking about life. And a lot of people think that Solomon was older when he wrote this now, and so he's reflecting on his life. He's already been through it all, he's already seen it all, he's already done it all, he's already tried it all, and now he's reflecting and he's writing these words down. And basically he says we need to fear God in our youth, and we need to fear God in our old age, at all times in all of our life. For the benefit of our lives here on earth, and for the benefit of our eternal life, we must fear God and keep his commandments. Now, when the Bible talks about the fear, it might not be immediately what you come, what comes to your mind when you hear the word fear. I mean, it could be. For example, if you're not a Christian, if you've never been spiritually born again, then you should fear God. You should rightly fear God. You should fear the coming judgment of God and eternal death, which is eternal separation from God's goodness and his love and his, his presence. However, for the believer, for the one who has trusted Christ in his salvation, there should be no fear. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the book of Romans teaches us. So our fear of judgment is totally removed because as a Christian, we can rest assured that Jesus took all the punishment for our sins on the cross. All the punishment that we deserved was poured out on Christ. And so we have no fear in death. We have no fear in life. We don't have to worry about coming judgment. We know that Christ has been judged for us. So we don't live in fear. So why does the book of Ecclesiastes, why does the author say we should fear God? Well, the Bible talks about the fear of God as being more like reverence or awe for God. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12 says it well. It's a good description of this. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says, Therefore... Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And so the fear of God is reverence and awe, Hebrews says. And so that should be how we live our life before God Almighty, before our Creator, is with reverence and with awe. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. True wisdom can only come from understanding who God is, that God is holy, he is righteous, he is just. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, it's also helpful here when we're understanding what the Bible means by fear. In Deuteronomy 10, it says, and now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. And so you see in Deuteronomy, when God gave instruction to his people to fear him, he meant to, to walk with him to walk in his ways, loving and submitting to him, serving him, respecting him, obeying him, submitting to his discipline, worshiping him with all. Those are all the concepts that are wrapped up in the biblical meaning of the word fear. And so the first point of today's message is that we ought to fear God in our youth. We ought to fear God in our youth. Look back at chapter 11 where we left off last week. And some people think that verses 9 and 10 of 11 goes better with 12 because um, it just runs right from chapter 11, verse 9 on to chapter 12. So chapter 11, verse 9 says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So as we talked about last week, an instruction that we have here is to enjoy life. Enjoy the youth that God has given to you while you still have sight in your eyes, he says. While you can still enjoy the beautiful sunrises and sunsets, enjoy the life that God has given to you. I remember when I was young, there was a time when I was able to run a couple miles in the morning and I was able to lift weights in the afternoon and still play basketball in the evening all in the same day. And I'm telling you this, though, I'm not bragging, okay? I didn't do any of those things well. But I was able to do those things when I was young. And now I'm to the age where I wake up with aches and pains and I can't remember, did I do something on Thursday, you know what I mean? Did I lift something heavy on Friday because it's Sunday now and I have to do backwards math to figure out what I did? Or am I just, is this how I feel now? Is this what it feels like to be older, you know? And the author here says to enjoy life before, while you can, but don't get too self-absorbed in what you're doing because he says, remember, God is still the just judge. There's still a judgment that is coming. And oftentimes when we're younger, we don't think about the end of life. We just think, oh, I can do whatever I want and I'll be fine in the morning. You know, that's how I was when I was in college. But he's saying, no, there's a time for judgment that is coming. Judgment is near. Our time is going fast. Our lives are just like a mist that appears in the morning and then is gone by the afternoon, and youth will end sooner than you think. So, in verse uh, chapter twelve, verse one, he says, "Remember your creator in the days of your youth." And the word "remember" there it, it means a lot more than just like, come bringing something to mind. It deals with how you view God and how you respond to Him. And we get a better understanding of the word remember because it's the same word that's used in 1 Samuel whenever Hannah was without a baby and that she really wanted a baby and she prayed to God. And it says in scripture, the Lord remembered Hannah and God acted on her behalf and caused her to conceive. So the word remember is used in the same way. It means to act decisively on behalf of someone. So what the author of... The book of Ecclesiastes is telling the young people here to remember that's an imperative. That's a direction. That's a call to action. As you recall and reflect on the Lord and your creator. Remember that God made each of you. He fearfully and wonderfully we are made. And so when you are young, that's a perfect time to decide to follow Jesus. A lot of the habits and lifestyle choices that we make when we're younger go with us as we get older. If you ask an older person, they will tell you that it's true. That if you can start making decisions when you're younger about how you're going to eat or exercise or how you handle money or what kind of work ethic you're going to have, those are the or how important God is going to be in your life, those are thing, decisions we can make in our younger days that will carry with us as we get older. And there are some people in our church, you know, some of you have... Grown up with parents who love the Lord and desire for you to walk with the Lord Jesus. And that is a very good gift that we shouldn't take lightly. I came to faith early in life and it's a decision that I never regretted. And I believe that God can save a young person and can use that young person for his kingdom to do incredible things. And I believe that so much. That's why I went to college and got a degree in youth ministry and did youth ministry for 12 years. Because I believe that God wants to use young people in his kingdom. That's why we believe in River City Kids here. And we place such a value on our kids ministry and in our elementary and in our youth group ministry here. Because I believe that God can absolutely use somebody, a teenager who is sold out to him, you know, one of the things that I think about when I think about somebody making a decision early in life is Jonathan Edwards. He was, I believe, one of America's greatest philo- um, um, philosophers and thinkers. He was an 18th century preacher, very influential in science and thinking in early America. And when he was 19 years old in the year 1722, he wrote 70 resolutions. When he was still a teenager, 70 resolutions that he read through every week how he was going to resolve, he was going to lead a certain lifestyle. And the very first one summarizes them all. He says, resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. And then he goes on to list these 70 different resolutions that talk about how he was going to show self-restraint in eating and in drinking, how he was only going to speak the truth and constantly study scriptures. But most remarkably was that he had a view to the end of his life, that when he got to the end of his life, he could look back and say, I live my life with no regrets. And that is why young people are told to remember our creator, to fear God in our youth. And now the next section of chapter 12, he tells us basically to fear God in our older age as well. And verse 2 to verse 8 is an extended metaphor that you can look at, and you can look at this a lot of different ways, um, that whether he's talking about a village or whether he's talking about a person. And whether you look at it in either way, basically the message is still the same. He's saying, When we get older, our lives and our bodies begin to change. Verse 2 compares the troubles of old age to a gathering storm. Both night and day are darkened by clouds, and after the rain falls, the storm clouds gather again. It's like when you're younger, like I said earlier, you feel like you can recover quickly, and when you're older, it takes a lot more time to recover. And verses 3 through 5 compare an elderly person to a house that is slowly crumbling with decay. It says the keepers of the house in verse 3. The keepers of the house are referring to a person's hands or their arms, which start to tremble as we get older. The strong men are legs or back which begin to bend with age. The grinders are teeth. And he says if we have any left over in our old age that don't seem to work anymore. The windows are eyes that are dimmed with eyesight that leads to cataracts are a loss of vision. The doors he refers to here are the ears that are deaf or hard of hearing. The daughters of song are vocal cords that no longer have the strength that they once did to make beautiful music. And then since almond trees are white in the springtime, the phrase, the almond trees blossom indicates someone's hair has turned white with age. And it's not just our physical problems either there's more that comes with growing old according to verse 4 it says that older people have trouble sleeping they're the first ones up with the songbirds before dawn and according to verse 5 they are afraid afraid of falling or being attacked as they walk along the road they suffer from diminished desire which may include sexual desire but it's not necessarily limited to that and then one day the crumbling old house will collapse And so the preacher here, he says, look at the grasshopper that drags itself along the ground. A grasshopper is supposed to jump. If you see a grasshopper walking and not able to jump, you know that the end is near for that grasshopper. The same fate awaits us all. Because he says here that man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So some people look at these things too, and they, they look at the metaphor that's already been expanded on and say, well, these are like the brain, the lungs, the spinal cord, those are all those things that are ending, breaking down, and ca- leading us to our death, which you, we don't know, I mean, what, was that or not? Well, we know at least what he's describing here is, is um, vivid descriptions of death. So death, he says, is like the snapping of a silver cord and the shattering of a golden bull, something that is precious and beautiful. And then eventually, he says, we eventually return to dust. The Bible says we were created from dust and now we return to dust as well. One day our bodies will return to ground to the ground and our souls will return to To their maker and he says as our bodies go into the ground our soul goes back goes to God so this is basically he goes on here for like seven verses explain this is what happens when we get older when we approach death and so the call that he's given to us is to fear God now to remember our Creator now fear God in your youth before those things happen to you and fear God in your old age before it's too late And it's also a reminder that just because our bodies are growing old, it doesn't mean that we should throw in the towel before it's too late either. When I was in high school, the pastor of my church, when I was growing up, he was a hog farmer from Indiana who became a missionary to Brazil. And then in retirement age, when he could have just retired and been like, okay, I'm just going to sit in my chair, he went to our church and said, can I, you know, be a pastor of the church and... um, you don't have to pay me, though. So he actually got hired as a pastor and didn't get paid because he said he was retired. And then when I was, like I said, in high school, he was like 70, 71, 72, I can't even remember. Uh, and he became the full-time lead pastor of our church. And I remember he always used to say, if you have breath in your lungs, God isn't finished with you yet. If you have breath in your lungs, God isn't finished with you yet. And he would go to the nursing homes and he would go to visit people and he would encourage them because I've used to spend a um, Go to a lot more nursing homes, and I noticed something too, is that some people, as they get older, they just become more bitter and more angry. And I talked to one person, he said, you know why, it's because you get older, you look back on your life, and you have a lot of regrets, and a lot of sadness, and a lot of bitterness. You know, because you, you thought that you were promised something. You thought your life was going to turn out a certain way. And there are some people who don't know the Lord, and as they get near the end of their life, there's nothing but bitterness, and it's very sad, and that was why that's why there's so much ministry that can be done into nursing homes you know i when i went back to visit after my pastor his name was pastor max after he was no longer doing stuff full time if he could still walk he was going to the nursing homes and i said that is a wonderful thing you do and he said you know i need to do that you know god called me to to do that and there's a lot of um salvation we should be still be praying for people in their old age and there's a lot of ministry you have left Regardless of where you're at, do not waste your life. Whether you're young, whether you're middle-aged, whether you're old, don't waste the life God has given to you. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and obey his commandments. When you're young or when you're old. Life is passing quickly. That's why he says right there in verse 8, "Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. That means life is fleeting. It's going faster than what you think. And so... Fear the Lord. And I love how, again, you can see the bookends, because remember in chapter one, that's how he started as well. He started and he ended the same way. So now he, he changes his voice here at the very end. And up until now, Ecclesiastes has been talking about what the preacher has said. And now the book he ends, I love this, because he talks about how the preacher collected these sayings, or how the preacher said it. So, look at verse 9 and 10. It says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So, this is referring to, I believe, the book of Ecclesiastes, but also think about it, the book of Proverbs as well, and the other sayings that, that Solomon wrote that is included, like this, the Song of Solomon. But also, it's a description for how God allowed, how God used the Holy Spirit to bring all of the Bible together. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so men, real men with brains and experiences and knowledge and personalities, as they were blown along, as they were carried by the Holy Spirit, they wrote down the very words of God. And think about this. Consider this. The preacher wrote with logical clarity, it says. He used the knowledge that he had. He took time to think and to evaluate all the wise things, and then he wrote these down that he was led to write down. It says in 1 Kings that um Solomon collected 3,000 proverbs now you see 3,000 proverbs aren't included in the Bible so he was led by the Holy Spirit to include what God thought that we needed to have in these books here and not only did the preacher evaluate these proverbs but he also arranged them it says carefully with great care and so as we read Ecclesiastes it's not all random you know it's not just a bunch of random sayings. He began with an opening and talked about the quest for the meaning of life. And then we talked about the different ways that people look for meaning under the sun. How people go to, you know, all the different things in life. Whether it's, remember he said, I, if there was something pleasurable in life, I did it. If there was something you could have, I got it. You know, I did everything you can imagine, and all the building projects. And then, and then he went on to explain wisdom versus folly. And he tested everything and with great care. He put a lot of emphasis into doing it logically and to doing it carefully. And in explaining that all of life is passing, all of life is vanity. And this is what he says, that I collected these things with logical clarity. And he wrote them beautifully with um The preacher, verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight. Words of delight that, like I said, you know, look at, uh, if you were here for Ecclesiastes chapter 3, a hit song that Solomon wrote. I don't think he got any residuals from that. I don't think he got paid from that. But a hit song written that became the number one song in America was written in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There were words of delight. There are beautiful words in the book of Ecclesiastes. As you flip through there, you see them at At weddings you see them at funerals and he wrote up he wrote uprightly words of truth he says and so these we know that he was a very wise person but these aren't just good sayings right these aren't just like ben franklin maxims that we words of advice to follow but this is actually the very words of god that are collected here and finally it's written with practical purpose. Verse 11 says, "The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherds, one shepherd." So what goads are, goad is like a long stick with a point at the end. And they were used for a couple different purposes. One was to direct an animal way to go, the way to go. So like an oxen that was teamed up with another oxen that had a yoke on it as it was pulling they would use a goad to prod it to push it along and nails were tools nails were firmly fixed whenever they would make camp there was a couple different uses for nails but it's a picture of something that was firmly fixed so a goad is a long pointed stick to prod and to poke an oxen in the way it should go and in the same way this wise teacher sometimes has to use sharp and painful words to guide his students as they think about difficult issues. Ecclesiastes pokes us in places we'd rather not be poked, but we need it. Remember when the Lord when the Lord accosted Paul or Saul on the road to Damascus? And one of the Apostle Paul's retelling of the stories, he said, the voice he heard said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's like the Lord was saying, why do you keep on fighting me when I'm trying to show you the right way to go? Is it difficult for you, Saul? Like, are you experiencing a lot of troubles? The goads, even though they're difficult, when you kick against the goads, it's not going to help you. And so the goads were painful, pointy sticks that were prodding us in the way we should go. And this is kind of like the book of Ecclesiastes. This is kind of like God's word in general. When we feel like the, God's word is stepping on our toes, right? That's the phrase that we would use. They would say, it's like the goads are prodding you along. And so these wise words, of, this wise words that he's given to us are the purpose, show the purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's what you hear in God's Word in the book of Ecclesiastes is not to drive you to despair. It's to push you to the shepherd, to provide stability and the presence of God in your life. And we want to look for comforting answers in, in so many places a lot of times. But God has given us his word to reveal his son to us. To reveal the shepherd to us that we need it's crazy how often we go to websites or google or to books that we think will be so helpful and in reality the answers are right here it's like god i want to hear from you we pray to god when the bible is sitting right there on the table beside us oh god if you would only speak to me and the bible is right sitting right there like god is saying i did speak to you or we go and we try to find a, a good book a good devotional book i'm not against good devotional books in fact i brought down my stack over here on this table of christmas devotionals i collected five or six now throughout the years because i like to do a, a christmas devotional book with a family or by myself during this time so if you want to grab one grab one i think those are really good but the best devotional books are ones that will say look at scripture okay don't just read the devotional read the scripture first if you only have time for one, just read the scripture then. Christian books are good. Good Christian books are really good. But as Charles Spurgeon once said, visit many, good, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Because at the end of the day, in conclusion, the author of Ecclesiastes might say, is this in verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That means this applies to every person, every man, woman, and child, every young person, every older person, at any season in life. That is the summary statement right there. So you know what? If there is no God, then and that means our lives, if they're just meaningless vapor, then do whatever you want to do, right? But this book has taught us that, god is real he is our creator he is our judge he does exist he has spoken to us through his word he has revealed his son as the true shepherd of a sheep as one author put it the final message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters but that everything does he begins this book by saying everything is unsatisfying there's nothing new under the Sun remember the first couple chapters nothing new under the Sun So if we look to money or to relationships or to sex or to success or to power or to reputation or to anything like that, we will maybe get a little taste of pleasure, but it's not going to leave us satisfied. It's not going to bring the satisfaction that you need. As Augustine said, God, there's a God-shaped hole in everyone's heart. God has made us for him and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. But the preacher ends the book by saying that there is a God in heaven who rules this world, that everything matters, and that meaning is found by putting him first and obeying him. And you know what? We need to walk with him. He's going to bring, verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And we know that we're not going to be perfect in this, right? There's no perfect person. We have all failed, but the good news is, is that Jesus opens his arms wide to all of us who are failures. So the only way to truly fear God and obey him is to come to Jesus and say this, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for my sins, and I'm sorry for going to all these other things that Ecclesiastes mentions and tried to bring happiness into my life. All of those things will fail us, but Jesus will never let us down. And we need to go to him and say, I'm sorry for trying to be my own savior. I need you to be my shepherd. And Jesus will hear our prayer. God will forgive us of our sins. He will change us and he will make us new. And then we can walk with that confident hope to knowing that under the sun, there is meaningless. But in Jesus Christ, we can have meaning and have life. Let's pray together. We ask that you would help us walk with you, O Lord God, that we know that when we go to everything in this life under the sun, we are not going to find fulfillment. Help us to put our trust in you. and, And Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. Help us to fear God and keep his commandments as we walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.